you heard, we're going to be looking at Psalm 66 this morning. Um, confession, most often when I preach, you're getting what I'm going through. Um, that's the way it is. I believe in the providence of God and His sovereignty in man's lives. Uh, and we'll look at some today in the psalm, I believe, addresses that. But uh, when I'm asked to preach, oftentimes you're getting what I'm reading, you're getting what I'm going through, uh, whether that be quotes, books I'm reading through. Um, you oftentimes just get a little glimpse of the preaching when you're seeing people preach. Um, and that's definitely true with me. Um, picking me up? Okay. We're trying to get this recorded, though it may not be worth it. We will trust the Lord to produce fruit out of it, however it may end up. So, Psalm 66. Uh, let me start off with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your grace. Lord, we pray that Christ is exalted, that your name is lifted up. We pray that we will declare your glory as we should. Lord, that we will shout for joy and proclaim the wondrous deeds you have done for us. Lord, we ask for your grace as we look at your word. We pray that your name and your word are exalted here. Lord, help us to come to a greater understanding and that that understanding might lead to a greater obedience that we might cherish Christ even more today. Lord, help us in our weakness and our infirmity. Forgive us of our sin. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I like to have directions. I like to have maps. I've always loved maps. Um, back when we used to have the big fat maps goes that had every state. Some of them were, some states had to take up two pages. Uh, I, I, I just like looking at maps. When we go on vacation, I like to plan out my route to know where I'm going. Men are visual. They think about these things, so they picture. So as I'm driving down the road, I can picture, and I can orient myself north, south, east, west. And if I turn, I say, okay, now I'm facing this direction. And in my head, I'm following that map. I'm going through a visual picture of what it means to follow that map. I like to know the direction I'm going. It helps me. It gives me a little bit of reassurance. It gives me something to lean on. Uh, When you get somewhere and the road doesn't look right, uh, if you've studied your map and you lean on it and you think, no, this must be right because this is the highway that it said I should be on, so I'm just going to trust it and continue to follow the directions that I was given. Uh, that, that helps me. So I don't like to be out in the middle of nowhere and not know where I'm at, um, whether that be with a topographical map and a compass or just a road map or whatever. I enjoy maps, maps of the sea. And so it's, it's good for me to know where I'm going. In our faith, I think God has given us maps as what we should expect. So oftentimes, people see the future as, a, as an unpredictable thing. Um, I would argue against that and say that God has given us all that we need for life and godliness here, and we can get glimpses of what we might be going through. Now, admittedly, that way it may not be as detailed as we often want. In our, in our flesh, we crave to, to have an omniscience and know what's coming ahead. We think that we would be better off if we actually knew. Although, truth be told, we wouldn't. God gives us the grace we need for the day we're in. And we need not worry about tomorrow, as his word tells us. Today's troubles are sufficient for their own. And so, as we look at Psalm 66, I want to propose to you that this is this map. It's a psalm that God gave his people. And that's one thing I, I love that I've been kind of, I've talked to you all about before, how psalms and music my eyes have kind of been opening up to over the past several years. And so I've always loved music. I've always enjoyed it. 
Um, I don't think it's an integral as a part of our lives as it should be. And I say that because the belief is that the song of Moses and Miriam and Exodus, they were able to come up with on the spot. They were musical people. We have the Psalms. The longest chapter in the entire Bible is Psalm 119, and it is a long psalm about the words, decrees, and laws of God, and statutes, and testimonies of our Lord, and how good they are, and how right they are, and how they guide us. We are meant to sing the glory and goodness of God. If you consider how this psalm even started, thank you for starting out with that in our prayer. If you consider, imagine this sound. Shout for joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of His name. Give to Him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. That's a battle cry. Men, that's a battle cry. Rally behind that. Our lives are meant to be shaped by song, by music, specifically the song and music that comes from God. So if you consider this pattern that we're laying out of how God works in his people's lives, I wanted to say it's one of calling, one of testing, and one of a keeping and delivering through trials. The, the pattern that you see, how God calls men and women, he calls his children, calls his people out. He called Abraham out of the land of earth. It, it's, it's, a, it's a pattern of the calling and then the testing. He calls and says, go. And then the test ensues. Will you follow? Will you trust the word of the Lord? Is it sufficient for your life? Can you go into a wilderness trusting that God has called you to that wilderness? And in that wilderness, it is a keeping and a delivering through trials. You've heard it before. It's, it's good to be said again. God, in his pattern, doesn't keep us from trials, but delivers us through them. Delivers us through them. So in our prayers, our thought life, as, as we pray, keep us through these trials. The Lord's appointed trials, as we will see. So we are helped when we recognize how the Lord works. And how we are given this song to direct us how to stay steadfast. Consider that for a minute. So, if your ultimate goal is faithfulness. I gave Gracie's graduation speech, if you will. It was to a handful of people that we knew and went to church with. My goal and my, my point to them and my charge to her was that my greatest desire was for her faithfulness. No worldly achievement will go above my desire for her faithfulness. Whatever she does, it's faithfulness to God was my greatest desire for her. And I wanted her to hear that from my lips and everybody to see me charging her with that. So that the steps ahead and the days ahead would be focused on a faithfulness to God and His Word. So if you consider, we are helped. And this psalm directs us how to stay faithful, to stay steadfast. Because the road ahead does have trials. First, let us fix our eyes on God. Look at verses 1 and 2. Shout for joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of His name. Give to Him glorious praise. The psalmist starts out with directing our attention heavenward. Look to God. 
He is worthy of our praise. What is man's primary purpose? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Amen. Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Psalm 16, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So, first thing, look to God. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. We recount the deeds of God. We repeat them back to God in a praise and testimony of Him. We are called to exalt God and fulfill our primary purpose to glorify and to enjoy Him forever. Worship is the culmination of joy. So if you consider the, the catechism, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. This is something I picked up from John Piper. If you think about football stadiums and the amount of worship that goes on, they are an overflow of the joy. When a team is victorious and the crowd roars and goes wild, it is an overflow and a praise of the joy of victory that they are exalting and lifting up for all the world to see. They tattoo it on themselves. Everything they wear has it. Everything they drive has it. Their home is covered in it. The exaltation and joy overflows so much that their life is consumed so you cannot doubt what they root for. How much more so should we? Worship is the overflow of joy. As Lewis says, it's the natural consequence of joy. It must express itself in worship. If you are filled with that much joy, so much joy, it will have to come out in worship. You will worship. It will happen. You will find joy in something, and you will worship it. We were made to worship. Consider directing that, knowing that, and directing that towards God. Worship is the culmination of joy. All the earth worships you. They sing praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Verse 5. Look at what the psalmist turns to. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. We are called to remember the Exodus. As it shows, verse 6, he turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. Do you say, and this is what I want you to consider for a second. Do you say, we, just stop and think of this context for just a second. The psalmist says, we, we pass through the river. Have you grabbed a hold of the faith of your fathers so much that it is you? Is it the one spirit, if we truly believe there is one spirit uniting all believers throughout all time, do we say, we, when we refer to the events of the Exodus. Because that's what the psalmist just did. We. There did we rejoice in him, who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watching the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Do you say we when referring to what happened to God's faithful people of the past? And, and I say this because I, I go back to the point that this psalm should guide us. If God's word is sufficient for all of life and godliness, and if you see something in the psalm that shows you that the psalmist put himself back at the Exodus and said, we were carried through on dry land. We, there we worship and exalted him. That is a, that is a guide 
That is a direction for us as believers today to grab a hold of the events and the deeds and the wondrous things of God and attribute them to us as well because we are in the line and faith of Abraham. There, we were carried through. We were delivered. Do you see it as your history and your lineage? Now, we are at a great disadvantage in our culture right now. Our culture does not value lineage very much. We do not. I, I don't know my great-great-grandfather's name. And that would be probably abhorrent to many people of the past that I know so little of where I came from. I couldn't tell you if there's preachers or prostitutes in my past because I don't know. I'm so disconnected from my lineage. It, it's a foreign, understand, that's a foreign thing. If you consider culture in general throughout history, it's a foreign thing to be so disconnected. There are tribes that have a better, there are, there, there are tribes that have a better understanding of their cultural history than I do, of their lineage. So we don't quite grasp the importance of it, but I want to, I want to ask you, do you see yourself as being a part of the history and lineage of God's faithful people? Consider Hebrews 11 for a second. What does Hebrews 11 call you to do? Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, you're given the hall of faith in Hebrews. You're giving all these people that you are shown that went through and walked through the trials, destitute, sawn in two, people whom the world was not worthy of. And then you are said, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every hindrance and run with joy the race set before us. So consider for yourself, do you, do you say we? Do you, do you grab this history and lineage? Because I would argue that the psalmist is doing that. As it continues on, verse 8. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of His praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. Let us not keep silent. Let us tell of the deeds of the Lord. That's something I've been convicted of. I don't do enough is telling how the Lord, because there's so many, I'll see them, I'll recognize the faithfulness of the Lord, and I'll forget, and I'll just move on to the next thing. And there are countless ways that the Lord has been good to me that you don't know about. We were going on vacation for almost a week, and not an ounce of water fell on our place that we know of. Last night, a good hard-blowing wind came in from the north and found every crack on the north side of our house. We scrambled for an hour pushing towels. I got, I got out a tube of blackjack and started blackjacking the inside of my house. I stood out in the soaking rain trying to cover the tops of the windows because I had chosen a poor caulk to put our windows in with and I'm paying the price for it. But God was, uh, we got done. I said, the Lord was so gracious to us. We weren't asleep when it happened. We weren't gone when it happened. We could have showed back up to a home that stank because of rotten water. But we were there. Had two tubes of blackjack and went to town. And many hands make light work. Had I had to do that with myself and my wife and one other kid, it would have been a mess. But many hands make light work. 
Children are a blessing, even if it's moving hymnals and books and stuff to try and get to where the leak's going to be. So do we tell the little things? Are our conversations filled with those? Or do we just go about life and forget about it or think about the cares, the worries, the problems? Do we tell the wondrous deeds of the Lord? And I, and I would argue from the, from the smallest to the greatest. If you can't recognize and tell the small little things where the Lord is taking care of you, I th- you're going to neglect the big ones. It's going to happen. He who is faithful in little will be faithful in much. The biblical principle we understand. I believe it still applies. If you, if, you, if you ignore and brush over the small things that the Lord does for you on a constant basis, then I think you're going to miss the big picture too. So, let us not be silent. Let us tell the deeds the Lord has done. Those whom God has kept. I'm here today. It's been something that I've gotten into a pattern of praying at night for our family. Lord, keep us. If we wake up in the morning as Christians, it's because God kept us as Christians. It's not because John, by his mighty power and his unconsciousness, was able to keep his family in belief. If I wake up a believer tomorrow, it is because God has kept me. If we are those, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If we are those whom God has kept, let us not keep silent about that. And this is what the psalmist is saying, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. Verse 10. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. Can you hear the Hall of Faith in Hebrew saying that? Can you hear them? You have tried us. The trial and deliverance, as we're looking at 10 through 12, the trial and deliverance. Who is it that acts? Who's the actor in this? God is. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. Do not despise God's appointed trial. We understand the concept. It's a, it's a good concept to hang on to. The smelting of gold. This, this, this mudding away of dross. You have a material. A rock. With impurities in it. It is heated and put through the fire so much that the pure metal separates from the dross. That is exactly what we're called to, and you know that. But we need to be reminded of that. And most of y'all, I'm sure, have heard this analogy. You've heard this reference plenty of times. But we need to be reminded, you're going to be put through the fire. This is your roadmap. This is what I'm telling you. The psalmist is directing you. You will be put through the fire. You will be tested. God will lay a crushing burden on your back. Don't give way to cheesy popular cultural Christianity. To the cheesy Christian movies that make light of the difficulties that we will face as Christians because there is impurity in us that must be sweated out. It must be sweated out. It must be driven from us. 
First Peter. Heard this not too long ago. Read it a while ago. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Those who are chosen. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now consider that. What if trials are part of your guarding? Do you discipline other people's kids? I mean, you know, I know you want to. I'm just asking. You don't. They're not your kids. You understand that principle. The principle from Hebrews. A child who goes undisciplined is a, not your child. The Lord disciplines his children. What if that discipline, what if that guarding is discipline? Have you ever have you ever considered something we need to teach our children? My discipline is guarding of you. I don't want you to walk into unfaithfulness, into wickedness, into sin. Therefore, I will discipline you. I will guard you. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, though it is that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Go back to worship. We started out the psalm with this. You are being put through the trials. You are being refined as gold. Your faith is being smelted through the furnace of God's affliction, His discipline, not His wrath and judgment, mind you, His discipline. You are being crushed, pressed, squeezed so that you can worship better and Christ will be exalted more. If you go to heaven the way you are right now, you will not enjoy it. I want you to understand that. If you go to heaven with your sin clinging on you the way it is now, you will not enjoy it. You will thank God for the trials that press out the sin in your life and clean out the draws from the gold of faith that God has put there. And you will praise Jesus for it. You will exalt Christ. Well, consider the, the faith that is more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire. What's the response? After the deliverance. So see verse 12. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. So, so we see, directed towards God, remembering His good deeds, seeing, acknowledging the trial that God has put on our lives and how He has carried us through. The result, I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. The response of obedience. Now, obedience didn't say. God did. This is something our pastors have been, been heavy to, to, to show us because our culture has drifted away from valuing obedience. But obedience is a joyful response. You joyfully obey. When you see that God has your good in view and His glory, you joyfully obey. 
the response. This disobedience is not what's saved. He doesn't sing of the praise of the bulls and goats that he slaughtered to deliver himself. But in response to God's deliverance through his trial, he says, I will love you and I will follow you. I will march with you. Lift up the cup of salvation. Psalm 116. Turn over. It's not the only place you see this, obviously. I want you to see Psalm 116. This is one of my favorite ones. Like I said, you get what, I, what I've got. Psalm 116, 12 through 14. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. God has been so good to me, I'm going to sing his praises. I'm going to lift up the cup of salvation. And I will call upon him. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. I'm going to make it public. The, the, the idea of the ability to carry out the Christian life in a secular world where you don't defend the secular world is nonsense. It's nonsense. We, we believe the lie for way too long that you can be a good employee and go about your life and for nobody at your work to ever know God is good to you. It's nonsense. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Flip back to 66. Psalm 66. Call upon the Lord and praise him. Verse 17. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I, verse 18, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Consider that for a second. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. This was a, a doctrine that I went through 10, 15 years ago with a friend. The Lord does not listen to every prayer. Do not assume that every prayer that is offered up, even in Jesus' name, is listened to. If you cherish iniquity in your heart, do you really believe the Lord is going to let you into the throne room and share throne room with your heart? I cried to him with my mouth and high praise went on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. The Lord does not hear every prayer that goes up. But truly, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Why? Because of repentance. Turn the iniquity out. The psalmist acknowledges, if I cherished that iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened to me. I must repent. We must be repenters. As we come to the Lord's table later on, it is, it is a supper for sinners, but it is a supper for repenting sinners. Repenting sinners. Jesus came proclaiming the gospel. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. We cannot cherish iniquity in our hearts. This is why we need the trials. The, the psalmist sees this. He was brought to desperation. Our idols get revealed in the fire, whatever they may be. 
the various, we, we are, as Calvin said, our, our heart really is an idol factory. We, there seems to be no limit to the different shapes, forms, and types of idols that we can make. And understand, as those come out, the call is to repent of those, not to hold those in your heart. And the response, the joy that you can have, God will listen to your prayer. The psalmist says that. But God has listened to my prayer. I, keep, keep, I mean, that's a, that's, a, that's a boldness that we get in Hebrews. Therefore, we have boldness to enter in the throne room. The Holy of Holies. That the, the priest had to have bells on his garment and a rope tied to him. And if, they, if the bells quit ringing long enough, they drug a dead body out because they did not, were not going in after him. We're not going in the Holy of Holies. The priest had to offer sacrifices for his own sin. And then, the slight chance he didn't do it right, he was going to get drug out dead. If he went in with, with iniquity in his heart, if he offered strange fire, as the sons of Aaron did, he would be consumed. He'd be struck dead. But Hebrews says, therefore, since we have boldness, we have boldness to enter in. Through the blood of Christ. Through the blood of Christ. It's, it's the argument for Jesus as the great high priest. It's the exaltation of Christ as the fulfillment of true Israel, of, of the redemption of God's people. We can be confident. And this is where we examine ourselves. We're called to examine yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith. And if we see, yes, a flaw hopefully a repenting heart that should give us confidence that God hears our prayers the psalmist has it but truly God has listened he has attended to the voice of my prayer his response verse 20 blessed be God because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me consider the end of the psalm chosen and refined that's where you're going. So we, we started out. I want you to see this as a map. It, it helps me. It may not help somebody all think of it that way. But the direction of our lives, we must look to God. We will go through trials. We will we'll go through fires that are there by God's appointed design from the hand of God to refine us. And we can have confidence. We can rejoice, we can lift up the cup of salvation, we can proclaim the name of Christ and the gospel of justification by faith. We can lift up the cup of salvation, we can have confidence if we see, yes, a flaw, but a repenting heart turning each day towards God. Be confident in his prayers and say, blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. Let us see the sovereign hand of the Lord in our trials. Repent of the dross in our lives. And in joyful obedience, worship Him for His grace toward us, now and in all times. The Lord is good to us. Let's pray.